Welcome to the Believe and Follow podcast. I'm your host, James Rutazzi. This week and next week, we will be talking about God's grace. It's very important that we understand the grace of God and how it directs our spiritual life. In the opening section of the Apostle Peter's second epistle is this greeting, May grace and peace be multiplied to you, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. What exactly is the grace of God, and why is it important for us to understand it? Today's episode is part one of this discussion, and we will begin our exploration of God's grace according to his word with a discussion of some verses from Ephesians chapter 2. In part two, we will have some additional discussion of other passages and a summary, all of which I hope will be helpful to all of us. Before we read something, what do you think about God's grace? What's that all about? That God wants to give us, you know, everything. He wants to give us, you know, himself. He wants to give us love. He wants to give us happiness and joy and, you know, all this extra goodness. That's, that's what I think of as grace, I guess. Um, so mercy, to, the, the two are linked in my mind. Right, right. Grace and mercy. Is, mercy yeah. is like, you know, like, so if you have a zero point, Right. We're all, you know, in the negative. So mercy gets us up to that zero point. God says, right. you know, I'm going to forgive all your bad stuff and get you to zero. And then grace is everything past that, that he pushes us up into, you know, the good stuff that he wants to give us. So that's kind of what I picture as those two terms. I used to give a definition of grace as... In reference to us and God, grace is unmerited favor. Mm -hmm. Because grace, just in a generic sense, is favor. You know, sometimes when you're paying off a loan, they might have a grace period. Oh, it's due on the first of the month, but if you pay before the 15th, there won't be any late charges. So that's a grace period. You could make your payment on the 14th, and the bank will look at it as if it was you were paid on time, even though you were 14 days late. And so the bank is giving you 14 days worth of grace. So the first passage I always go to if someone says, well, let's talk about God's grace, is Ephesians chapter 2. And the specific verses are 8 and 9, but there's this whole section. Do you want to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10? 
and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 8, so that's, that's the typical verse you probably heard people quote. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. What does the first part of that statement mean? For by grace you have been saved through faith. So, because of our faith in God that he will save us, then God gives us that result, you know, that grace. I don't know. That's kind of a restatement of the verse, yeah. in a way. Yeah. But <laughs> you're saved by grace through faith. You're not saved. What does he say? It's not the result of. Your own doing. Yeah, not the result of works. Not your own doing. So what does that mean? That it's nothing that we've done. It's all gone. Yeah, basically, let's go back to the bank and the loan thing. When you buy a car, right, you get a loan for your new car, and you've paid the loan off, now you own the car. Mm -hmm. So you get the title, you get the title back from the bank, and what does that title say? Well, that says that, well, you made all the payments. So you earned, you basically earned the car. It's a simple transaction. The car cost whatever, $20,000, and you paid $20,000 plus whatever other fees the bank wanted to charge you, an interest or whatever. But you had a contract with the bank, and the bank isn't doing you any favors. As a matter of fact, the bank is making money on this deal. So you've done the work. You know, you've gone to work every day, earned your paycheck, and then every month, taken some of that money, sent it off to the bank, and paid them off. When you're all done with that, now you own a car. Because you've completed the transaction. You've actually given the bank value equal or greater than what the car is, right? So you've, you've bought it. Or the other metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses is if you're just working a job. He says, okay, you paint my living room, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Well, so you painted the living room and I give you the hundred bucks. That hundred bucks is not a gift. You earn the hundred bucks. I owe you the hundred bucks. That's not grace. But what about this? So check this out. What if I gave you a car? I just said, here, here's a brand new car. And you said, well, thanks. And you're driving around in the car. Did you earn the car? No. No. You would say, it's my grace that I gave you this car. So now what if 
I said to you, okay, since I gave you the car, if you happen to see me, like, especially if it's a rainy day or something, and I'm walking down the road, why don't you stop, pick me up, and drive me to where I'm going? As it turns out, you're driving along, and it's a rainy day, and you see me walking along, and so you pull over, you know, pull over and say, get in, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Trader Joe's. All right, so you drop me at Trader Joe's. Now, have you earned the car? You've done something. You've even done a nice thing for me because I asked you to do it because I gave you the car, but... I don't, I don't think it was a condition for getting the car. Right, exactly. Car, so. Or is the driving me to Trader Joe's equivalent to the value of the car? No, I could have called a taxi or an Uber. Or whatever. Depending on how far a Trader Joe's. Exactly, but chances are, you know, a $20,000 cab ride. What kind of cab ride would cost you 20000 bucks? But you see what I'm saying? The relationship with God is, even if God asks us to do things, mm -hmm. even if we do them really, really well, do we say, okay, now we've earned eternal life? No, that's why it's always God's grace, because God is wanting to give us something that is of so much value that we couldn't possibly earn it. If we did everything we could do all our lives, it wouldn't come up to the value of what God is giving us, so he gives it to us by grace. Does that make sense? Okay. And it's also grace in what he asks us to do for it. Remember the verse that I talk about often, which is Genesis 15, verse 6. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And I know that's an important verse because it's quoted three times in the New Testament. That's why I know it's an important verse, not because when I read it, I was like, wow, that's important. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. It happened that once I read various passages in the New Testament, I said, well, now, hey, that's an important verse because it gets mentioned a number of times. And this is where the faith part comes in. What did Abraham believe in Genesis 15? Do you remember what was going on in Genesis 15? I'm thinking it's one of two things, maybe. Either it has to do with his son or it has to do with following God's instructions to go somewhere? Well, actually both. So God appears to Abraham when he's 75 years old, Genesis 12, and says, I want you to pack up everything and I want you to move to a place where I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to give you that land. Actually, I'm going to give your descendants that land. So the first thing he says is, I'm going to make you a great nation. Your descendants are going to possess this land, too. And then three, through your seed all the world will be blessed. Those are the three promises that God makes to Abraham. So Abraham says, okay, fine, and he packs up his kit and caboodle and goes. Now he's 75 years old and he hasn't had any kids. So God doesn't immediately give him a kid. The moment he starts to obey, God doesn't give him a kid. 25 years later is when Isaac is born. Mm -hmm. Lots of stuff happens between them. Genesis 15 is one of those instances. It's before the whole Ishmael thing. God just appears to Abraham again and reaffirms his promises. And Abraham says to God, well, wait a second, how is this going to happen since I don't have any kids and the offspring of my servant is going to be my heir? And then God says, no, 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 and he takes him outside and shows him as, as many as the stars in the sky. That's the number of your offspring is going to be. And then it says, verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what does that verse mean? We've discussed this before, right? That 
So because he, I mean, I don't know, I'm just gonna explain that <laughs> that God considers our faith, our you know, belief in Him as he he uses that and says, okay, and so I'm going to turn this into something better, I guess. That's not explaining it terribly. Well, you're on the right track. The words that are used when it's translated, it's credited to him as righteousness, is this idea that it's credited to his account as if he was righteous. Mm -hmm. Well, what are you, Abraham? Well, Abraham's a lot of things. But we know that Abraham wasn't exactly righteous. He did wrong things. We already know that people who do wrong things are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? They're not going to be accepted by God. God's looking for people who behave like his son Jesus Christ. And God made it very simple for us. He sent Jesus down to live a life like he expects us to live. He makes it very simple for us to understand, but is it, is it, is it simple for us to do? No, obviously. By the time we catch up and we realize that's what God expects from us, the train has already left the station. We've already sinned. Abraham did wrong things, but because Abraham believed what God promised him, God looked at Abraham and rewarded him as if he was a righteous person. Does that make sense? I understand it, but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, but just like us, okay, what do we expect to happen after we die? After we die, then... There's a, a judgment day, you know, where God looks at us and says, yeah, these are the things that you did wrong, and these are the things that you did right, which is not, <laughs> probably nothing, because our, our good works are you know, dirty rags. Um, so and then he says, you know, is there anything that you have to cancel out all this bad that you did? And if you have, you know, if, if you have said, you know, I want Jesus to take my case on, basically, then all that, all that bad is overturned, I guess, or uh, covered up. Yeah, basically, you believe what's been promised to us by Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so we get looked on as righteous because we believe, because of our faith. So it's by grace you have been saved by faith. That's where the faith comes in, though. You believe, because you believe this promise. Well, wait a second now. How am I, a terrible sinner, going to actually be able to inherit eternal life? When you see that list of nasties that the Apostle Paul often has read off, people who do these things, boom, 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 will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, you and I are going to say, well, the ones that we haven't actually done, we've at least thought about doing We've at least wanted to do it one time or another. And so, how are people like us going to inherit eternal life if people who do those sort of things don't inherit eternal life? Well, we have to believe the promise that Jesus made to us. So that's where the faith comes from. But just because we believe, does that mean that we deserve eternal life? Like we've earned it? If it was a set of scales, no. Exactly, but, yeah. But in God's eyes, 
He's decided, yes. Yeah, exactly. He's giving it to us as if we've earned it. You're saying exactly the right thing. In other words, just like Genesis 15, 6, he's credited it to us as righteousness, as if we did earn it. But let's not brag about it. Let's not boast about it as if we've done some great thing. No, all we've done is believed what God has promised. Like all Abraham did was believe what God promised to him. So Abraham had nothing to boast about. What do people generally like to do? Especially people who pay a lot of attention to religious stuff and live very, very holy lives in their own estimation. They're like, wow, look at how good I am. I deserve eternal life. No, that's, even if we don't know the nasty things they've done, they've done nasty things. So we can never think that. Even if you and I, from this point on, live a perfect life and don't commit a single sin for the rest of our lives, we still would not have earned eternal life. You know, what kind of a value can we put on that? And say, okay, now, God, I've given you this value. Now you owe me eternal life. When's that going to happen? It's never going to happen, right? We want this pearl of great value. We want this thing that's of infinite value. And so we're not going to be able to pay for it. So the only way we're going to be able to do it is by the method that God has set up so that we can get it. So he made Jesus pay the penalty sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus has promised that he would be with us. And Jesus has promised us eternal life if we're his disciples. Does it make sense? Does that help with the understanding of grace? Does it cause you any questions, comments, concerns? I like the analogy with the car. It, it does simplify it, you know. Because a lot of, a lot of, at least to me, a lot of religious jargon, you know, is bandied about all the time. But yeah. it's not really thoroughly explained to where a normal person can understand it. And so, I, mean, I, I, you know, I know what grace is, but... I don't know what grace is. <laughs> Does that make sense? I think that's a very honest answer because I think an honest person would say that. We have some idea what grace is, but I don't think we really know what grace is. We don't completely appreciate. Mm -mm. What he wants from us is for us to believe. The believing is what he's looking for. The following his instructions is just the way he sets it up. Why did Abraham have instructions to follow? Was it to prove to God that he believed? Did God know before Abraham did anything whether or not Abraham believed? I think so, because yeah. he chose him. Yes, he knew. When, I don't know if he chose him, but he, he said, you know, this, this guy... I, I don't like using that word necessarily. But no, he, I don't like he, using He noticed him and said, this, this person is, you know... But God knows the heart. Yeah. There's nothing hidden to God. So if Abraham really believed, then God knew that he believed. So why did Abraham have to do anything? Now, this is an important question. So why did Abraham have to do anything? To show his faith. To who? Not to God. To show his faith to who? I guess to prove it to himself. Um... No, to show it to who? 
the world. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly it. Remember what God's setting up through Abraham. Through your seed, the whole world will be blessed. If the end of the story was Abraham believed God and God credited to him his righteousness, end of story, what would we have to demonstrate that to us? We wouldn't have anything. He did what he did, and what he did was kind of odd because he believed what God promised him. And the other important thing is God followed through on the promise. This was a hard-to-believe thing that this old man and his old wife would have a child. This was hard to believe, but God promised it, and Abraham believed it and then acted accordingly, and God followed through on his promise. This is a pattern that's repeated over and over again in the Bible. When God promises something, he follows through on what he promises, even if it's unbelievable. How does that help us? Well, we're hoping for eternal life, which is kind of hard. It's harder to believe than a hundred-year-old guy and his wife having a child. This is even more far-fetched. Mm -hmm. we, we don't have any evidence. We do have one thing, which is what? Jesus resurrected. Right. Jesus got raised from the dead, so we, like Jesus, want to also be raised from the dead. We have to believe that promise that God has made to us. And that's what God wants from us. But, just like we can look at the life of Abraham and take a lesson from that, and look at the lives of all these other Old Testament characters. What did the writer of the Hebrews say in Hebrews 4 about the nation of Israel in the desert? Why did just about the whole nation die in the desert? Because they... I mean, because they were afraid and they didn't have faith that God could do it. Right, they didn't believe. Let's make it as simple as we can. They didn't believe. And their belief was demonstrated by their disobedience. They didn't do what God told them to do. See, Abraham believed he did what God told him to do. Abraham got the promise. Nation of Israel was promised this land. But all those that did not believe in that promise did not follow God's instruction, died in the desert. And the ones that believed were able to take possession of the land. That's really simple, right? If you believe, you're going to follow God's instructions. If God and Abraham were the only people on the earth, there would not have been any need for there to be a following of instructions. But if Abraham's being held up as an example for us to follow, then what do we have to do? We have to do like him. We have to follow God's instructions. Just like all these other stories. Noah followed God's instructions. It doesn't mean then if we follow God's instructions that we've earned eternal life. The following of his instructions is just indicating that we believe the thing that he's promised. Does that make sense? Let's just read the whole section again now. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. In other words, following the example of everybody else around you, right? Hey, it's easier. I can get away with more things if I lie. So somebody asks me, hey, did you do that? Did you say that? I'm going to lie. I'm going to get away with it. Things like that. I'm walking down the street and I see apples on the apple cart. I'll just kind of like just grab one and I've got an apple now. I don't have to pay for it. Following the course of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. Yes. The spirit 
that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It does not paint a good picture. We're disobedient, we're children of wrath, we're doing bad things. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, so we didn't do anything good yet, we're still living according to the world that we were born into, we're dead in our trespasses, but even while we were doing that, or even before we did anything, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. So he sets up this thing where Christ comes, he's sacrificed, and he's raised from the dead. That's all been set up so that this grace is available to us. When we finally hear the good news, when we finally are told, hey, wait a second now, all these things that you're doing are not helpful. It may, it may seem like you're helping yourself by lying and stealing and getting what you can from the world. But no, 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 you're not helping yourself because in the end, it's not going to go well for you. But here's the good news then. All you have to do is believe that God has offered you eternal life. He's offered you a way out of this life that you've built for yourself. As long as you follow the instructions from his son Jesus Christ, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. As long as you do that, you don't have to do a great thing. You don't have to build a giant skyscraper. Right? You don't have to go on a long journey to a faraway land. All you have to do is be a disciple of Jesus Christ, which means do the things that Christ told you to do, and stop doing all the things that, that you learned from the people around you and the culture that you were brought up in. All you have to do is plan to stop doing that, and you get eternal life as if you lived a life the way Jesus did. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Then he says, by grace you have been saved. So that's God's grace. He set it up. It's already been set up for us. So what God did is he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because where's Jesus now? I'm... Whose right hand is he at? Is he there right now? Yeah. Yeah, he he seated, right yeah, when he ascended, he was seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the king, right? When he came back from the dead, what did he say? He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So he's the king now. He's at the right hand of the Father. You know, your right-hand person is basically your second-in-command. There's nobody between you and your right-hand person. So that's where Jesus is. But the point is, we can be right there with him, even though... We don't deserve to be right there with him. You can't undo all the harm that you did. Mm -hmm. So there has to be some kind of grace given to you to make this work. Or else none of us would be right there where Jesus is, right? Have any of us accomplished anything that says, Oh yeah, now I deserve to be right there where <laughs> Jesus is. That's the point. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we're right there with Jesus at the right hand of God. Good place or bad place to be? Good place. Good place, right. Even though we don't deserve it because we're bones in comparison. <laughs> so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So it's in Christ Jesus because we know that Jesus is the one 
that we're supposed to follow, but he was the one chosen by God to be this sacrifice. But this shows the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us because we don't deserve such a simple, easy to understand method for attaining eternal life. And then he says, Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So we believe God, and because we believe this promise that God has made, the promise of eternal life, then we follow his instructions. Let's say, uh, you know, on Sunday I don't feel like going to worship. It's really, really cold outside. I feel like staying home. Well, I go, wait a second, though. God has instructed me to do certain things, so I'm going to put on my thermal socks and sally forth and brave the weather and come to worship. So, I show up here. Now I've earned eternal life. No. Not quite. But it's because I believe God that I'm inspired to do certain things that I maybe would not have done if I were not in this relationship. Because I would have just stayed home. And who knows, maybe done something wrong when I was staying at home. But. I'm busy doing the things that God has instructed me to do, so it keeps me out of trouble. But I still haven't earned eternal life. I'm just feebly doing the things that God has instructed me to do. So when he says, this is not your own doing, it's not like, okay, I'm grateful to God, so what wonderful thing can I do for God? And I think of some wonderful thing to do, and God's pleased with the wonderful thing that I did. It's not that. And that's what it would be if it was our own doing. God would say, look at this wonderful thing that I've done for you. Now what are you going to do for me? You got any ideas? And I say, oh, well, hey, I'll cook you up a really nice meal. How about that? And God says, no, no, no. God has told us exactly what he wants to do. So it's not like once we realize the great thing that's been done for us, that we have to now say, how am I going to show my gratitude? You know, like you might if, if your friend gives you a car. You might say, hey, maybe I'll do some nice thing for my friend now. Well, what am I going to do for him? Well, he likes steak. So I'm going to buy him a really nice steak dinner because he gave me this car. It's not that kind of transaction. We're given the instruction of exactly what to do. So we don't have to come up with some spectacular thing that we've done to show God how much we are grateful for what he's promised to us, what he's given us. All we have to do is follow the instruction that's been laid out to us. That's why it's not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's easy to understand, right? Because if I did some great thing that earned me eternal life, then I could boast about it. Oh, I cooked God this great steak dinner, so that's why he gave me eternal life. And it was a really, really good dinner. You haven't tasted steak like this steak that I made. That's boasting. It's the best steak that anyone's ever made. Yeah. No. All I've done was what I've been told to do. So that no one may boast. And then it says, for we are his workmanship. So we were created by God. And here it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, to do good things, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's just repeating the same idea, but a little bit different. 
So whatever the good thing that we do, even if the good thing that we do is say, hey, maybe, you know, the guy who started the Salvation Army, that was a work that God prepared beforehand for him to do. Or the Gideons putting Bibles in all the hotels. The things that we do in obedience to God as a result of our faith, of our believing the promise that he's made, it's already been all set up beforehand, that God prepared this all. So it's not like, hey God, was that really good what I did? No, 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 you just followed the path that I already laid out for you. And so we've got nothing to brag about. And that's helpful in us relating to each other, too. Because some guy who does incredible things in our little group, in our little church, says, hey, look at me, I'm hot stuff. Look at you, what are you doing? You're not doing anything. Each of us is following the path that God has given us to do. So the skills that we have to do the things that we need to do to follow God's instruction are all things that God has prepared in advance to do. What does it say in Ezekiel about? You shepherds, I didn't give you what I gave you so you can just feed your face. You shepherds are not feeding the flock. You're just feeding your face. We take whatever gift that God's given. He doesn't say feeding your face, but just feeding yourselves. But that's the idea of it, right? I didn't give you shepherds the gifts that I've given you just so you could sit back and stuff yourselves. You're supposed to take the gifts that I've given you and give them to the flock. So we're supposed to figure that out too. We're supposed to figure out, well, what does God want us to be doing? What has God given us the ability to do and how can we use that to follow God's instructions? But it's not like we have to invent something. Maybe we have to pray to God to reveal to us. So what charitable work, what work of love can I be doing in obedience to your instruction to feed the sheep? We can pray if, if we don't know what that is. We can pray to God to reveal it to us because God knows what it is. God knows what he thinks we should be doing. You know, he doesn't want me to be a prize fighter for Jesus because, you know, I wouldn't last five minutes in a ring. Or he doesn't want me to be a basketball player for Jesus. Right? But there's something that he wants me to do. And he's given me the skills to do whatever it is he wants me to do. So it's just a matter of me <laughs> understanding what he wants me to do and then doing it. Is that as long as you're following would you put that stipulation there? As long as we're following what? What he wants us to yeah. do. Yeah, as long as we're following God's instructions. But like if he's not following, well, if you're not following what, then you don't get those? Or you would pollute them somehow? He gives us the gifts. You're right about that. And if we don't use them the way that he wants us to use them, well, we still have the gifts. We still have the skills and abilities. We just didn't use them. We use them instead to fill our own stomachs. Faces. Yeah, fill our own faces. We're supposed to be acting in love towards people. Which means what? Well, we're supposed to be doing good things for them. We're supposed to be putting their needs above our needs. So it's just like we look at the widow who's not able to keep her home. Maybe we could help her keep her home rather than saying, Hey, hey it would be very easy for me to get this widow's home. Now I've got an extra home to sell. And the widow has no home. Well, so what have I done? I've used the skills that God has given me to deprive somebody else of their home. Am I acting in love to that person? No. 
Am I putting their needs above mine? No, I'm putting my needs above theirs, and I'm there out in the cold, and I've got extra house to sell, so I'm going to sell a house and whatever it is I'm going to do with it. So we do have to use the gifts according to the instruction that we're given, following his instruction. We have the gifts anyway. We're given the gifts anyway. He causes his son to rise on the just and the unjust. He feeds everybody. But the people who are looked on as righteous are the ones who take the gifts that God has given them and use them in the way that God wants them to be used. Does that kind of answer your question? Is that getting to the idea of it? Mm-hmm. But he gives the gifts to everybody, even though he knows that lots and lots of people are going to use the gifts that God has given in the wrong way and do bad things with them. If we understand that the only reason why we continue to exist is by the grace of God, then we're going to be more humble about our walk with God, even if we do think, oh, look at how good I'm doing. So. Stay tuned next week for part two of God's Grace. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or even if you have any helpful suggestions, please feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org. That's all for now. Goodbye, and God bless. The love of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true all together, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey.